everyone welcome back to the business growth advantage i've got a question for you do you ever hop on social media and you start to notice someone who just is constantly posting quality stuff and you think to yourself man how cool would it be to have some one-to-one -one time with that famous person in their niche doing what they're doing I have that feeling right now because for months I've been following Jay Harrington specifically on LinkedIn. Jay, I've been inspired and impressed by your dedication to putting out really great content, especially for lawyers and law firm owners. And I know that you are walking your talk here because so much of what you talk about is about thought leadership in the leadership community or in the lawyer community. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for sharing your biggest tips with my audience. And first off, I just want to go through what was the story that got you here to doing what you're doing now? Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to keep it brief, but first of all, Joey, thanks for having me. It's great to join you. And I'll tell my kids that I was called famous today by someone. So. Yes. <laughs> They'll be like, what's LinkedIn <laughs> in any event? So yeah, we go back, we wind back the clock. I never know what to say. I'm a former practicing lawyer, but I still pay my bar dues. So I guess I'm still a, a lawyer. <laughs> and so we go back to 2001. That's when I graduated from law school, started my career. Fast forward about five or six years. I left a law firm that I was at and started what business I have now. It's different in terms of what we do and how it's constituted, but I wanted to do something as I perceived it a little more entrepreneurial, I had the typical sort of fifth, six-year lawyer felt feeling a little burned out. And so I started a marketing agency of all things. My wife at the time was doing freelance graphic design work. That's her background. She used to work in various marketing agencies, went off on her own. I thought, we don't have any kids, put away a little bit of money. Like, why not? We'll join forces and see what happens. So that got started then. In 2009, I had a bit of a diversion. I, start, I went back and started a law firm. So I did corporate bankruptcy work in my past life. And being in Detroit at the time, financial crisis, automotive crisis with GM and Chrysler filing for bankruptcy, it was like the moment. If you're ever going to practice corporate restructuring law again, that was the moment. So at that time, had the marketing agency still going, had the law firm. About four years later, definitely was burned out from both those things. Found out, my wife and I found out she was pregnant with twins. We had another daughter at the time. So left the law firm, focus 100% on the marketing work that I'm doing. So that's how I got to the point where I'm at now. So it's been about nine years where this has been my entire full-time focus. Mm. Well, what I think is so cool about what you do is I think one of the only people I know who really helps people with marketing in from this lens of let's help you become a thought leader. Mm -hmm. 
Why is that phrase thought leader so important to you? Yeah, I think with my clientele, which tends to be, which is all focused in the legal industry, and most of my clients are in maybe we'll call it the B2B legal space. So mm-hmm. don't do a tremendous amount of work for more consumer oriented lawyers and law firms. I think thought leadership is important there as well. But for many of my clients, development, generating work, developing relationships is a long-term game. And there are certain things that you can do. You can buy attention, right? Do advertising and other forms of paid attention, paid media. And that can work as well. It certainly does. But I find that for them, the ability to share their expertise and their ideas through the marketplace of ideas, through the content they're creating, tends to make them more visible, allows them to establish themselves as experts within a space. I think their clients tend to consume more of that type of content, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking for expertise, they're looking for answers. And so the ability to kind of have your content speaking for you in that way, I think is really valuable. And to the extent that you can have a niche market that you're focusing your legal practice on, and you can become highly visible and highly regarded and trusted through your content, then that's the thing that can allow you to start generating inbound opportunities and in other valuable marketing opportunities as well. I'll make one last point on this. Something I think that's oftentimes overlooked with thought leadership, say writing articles for a trade publication or creating content on social media platforms, is that it's to me the gateway to other opportunities that you might be seeking from a marketing standpoint. So I find that people who are highly visible through their thought leadership are those who tend to be recruited for things like speaking opportunities, are the ones who reporters reach out to when they're looking for a source for a story. Again, you're sort of branding yourself as an expert within a niche and the gatekeepers to those other types of marketing opportunities, again, the event organizers, reporters, editors, podcast hosts, they start to seek you out. And so kind of creates this flywheel effect that continues to work for you over time. Mm. It almost sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this thought leadership focus is a longer ROI term play Mm -hmm. that dominoes over time. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you're continually, you know, if you assuming you have some focus to what you're doing. So for example, with, with a lot of clients, they might serve a cross section of different industries, but with something like thought leadership, the ability to focus and really immerse yourself within what I'd like to call the ecosystem of attention of a particular industry. Because you know every industry breaks down and has an ecosystem where websites they read, journals they read, conferences they attend, all that kind of thing. And your ability to kind of, again, immerse yourself within that ecosystem is really valuable. But it does, it plays out over time and starts compounding as a result of you continuing to show up, continuing to be visible. There's this principle that I use to demonstrate, I think, the importance of thought leadership and why it translates into this long-term game, which is that if we're out there meeting people, developing relationships, it's very unlikely that any particular interaction is going to give rise to a new legal matter, for example. You bump into someone at a conference and start talking to them, they're like, oh, amazing, you're the perfect person for this problem we have. We just got sued. Can we hire you? That never happens, right? But- what you want to be doing is getting that pe- person within your orbit such that seven months from now, when they do face that sort of problem, you've already developed a tremendous amount of trust with them 
that you're one of, if not the appropriate expert to help solve their problem at that point, seven months later, when they recognize they have demand for services like yours. Yeah. I would imagine when you think about marketing and thought leadership in this way, and you think about the types of content that you'll create for that. Yes, there could be places where you say, if you need us, here's a link to book a call, or here's our phone number to reach out and call us. But based on what I've seen you do, it seems like it's less about those kind of immediate calls to action to create a lead and more about creating engagement, getting them to be a part of the conversation. Can you speak to how like the what the key result is that thought leaders really work on when they're creating content? Yeah, to me, there's this quote from Naval Ravikant. He's an angel investor and entrepreneur, and he talks about I think this was a tweet of his at some point where he talks about the goal of content creation. Yes, it's to become well-known, just to have visibility, but it's also to become known well. And that's probably even more important because what you're trying to do through your continued exposure to your content is really make clear to your audience that you are the expert again, or if among a handful of experts who's best equipped to handle this sort of problem for this sort of client. So it's an education process. And if you do that well, you don't have to call anyone to action. Like when they recognize that they have a need for the type of thing you do, they're naturally going to reach out to you. I experienced that in my own business where, like you said, Joey, I don't ever, I shouldn't say ever, but rarely do I ever have a call to action in anything I'm doing. Mm. Because my the clients that end up reaching out to me, they've listened to my podcast, read my LinkedIn posts, maybe read one of my books. They know how to find me. And it's really when they sort of trip over that idea that they need some help, I'm top of mind for them. And I think the same can be true for anyone who creates content. So it's really about the key thing is just be consistent, be visible, build trust over time, make it clear through your content and your other, yeah, your like LinkedIn profile, your website as to who you serve and how you help. And tech clients tend to be pretty smart about understanding mm-hmm. how to take the next step. Okay, people know how to send me an email or pick up the phone and call me. It's right there on my website. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Be just prepared for people when they research you and kind of know where to go from there. Yeah, instead, I guess it's one way to think about it. It's like by doing this sort of marketing, you're catching opportunities as opposed to pitching them all the time. Sure. Work starts, it doesn't happen quickly, but it starts to come inbound because you very much clarified for people like what is the, again, how it is that you can help. And so, you know, that process of generating ideal fit inbound opportunities can be accomplished through thought leadership. Great point. I love the way that you're just summarizing these topics so that I don't have to (laughs) try. (laughs) A lot of good quotables in here. Jay, what would you say once people are following you, they're saying, oh my gosh, I'm ready. I want to invest in you. I want you to help me. What are the mistakes that you tend to see people making who are on board with this idea of doing thought leadership that you have to undo or put them in a different direction when you start working with them? Yeah. I think that's one of them is the feeling the need to pitch in your content, right? It's like, well, wait a second. I I wrote this. Of course, I'm going to conclude with a paragraph that talks all about why you need to call me and why here, click this link and that kind of thing. So I think that's one factor. Another one is just simply prioritizing it. It takes some time. Obviously, it's an investment of time to create content. 
And for many busy lawyers, obviously time is scarce and valuable. So you do need to carve out some time for it. And I think that challenge of time scarcity relates to any form of marketing, but this one in particular. But one of the problems with problems and opportunities, I guess I would say, with thought leadership is that it's not that super easy to outsource. There's other forms of marketing that lawyers and law firms do that's much more amenable to outsourcing. Yes. In this case, there are aspects like help, for example, clients create thought leadership content and but it's, it's a more bespoke process. Mm. I still need to speak to you, the subject matter expert, make sure this is in your voice. So any particular work product is probably a little more take, if you are outsourcing it, it's gonna be a little more expensive. It's all these things. You're still gonna have to be invested from a time standpoint. So that's a big one. And then I think also this notion of buying into the idea that you need to narrow your focus. So. It's very noisy, right, in the marketplace of ideas. And the thing, though, and there is a lot of bad content, right? The noise sure. in, includes bad content. But what's oftentimes overlooked, everyone, I think everyone, that's when they talk about things being noisy. It's like, oh, there's so much bad stuff out there. It's noisy. But there's also so much amazing stuff out there, right? There's a lot of great content competing for eyeballs and ears and everything else. And so you need the ability to stand out requires a difficult decision. And the decision is, who am I going to write this for? Because if you're trying to write it for everyone, then unless you get lucky, I would say, or you're just amazing, you're going to have a really hard time reaching anyone. Yeah. Because there is just so much content of a general nature out there. So in that case, it's like, all right, you want to write about whatever, UCC issues for that could apply to any type of business. Good luck. It's you can have a much easier time if you include the name of the, the job title of the person you want to read this article and the industry they're in the title to that article for so like five things CFOs in the automotive industry need to know about these whatever contractual issues. And that's the kind of specificity you need in order to stand out. And I think for many lawyers that I work with, making that strategic decision of okay, here's who this is for. It's hard because necessarily it means it's not for everyone else and they feel like right. they're missing opportunities. I could totally see that. And that can also be frequently be difficult for a lawyer or any business that's in the B2B space. Yeah. Because it can get tricky to figure out who your niche is demographic wise, psychographic wise. Can you give some examples of how you've helped some of your clients niche down to speak to a more specific audience? Yeah. So... Yeah, it really does come down to some of these questions. Fundamentally, you need to consider who I serve and how I help. So this is a oftentimes a cross-section. There's not really, it's a spectrum. Some people have very defined niches from a geographic industry and practice standpoint. Others, they might just have a really niche practice, right? And it really can apply to everyone, but it, it's so tailored and specific that it can still constitute a niche. Other people will have a specialization within a particular industry. So lots of lawyers will have like the dental lawyer, right? And they're doing transactional work and they're doing maybe a little bit of employment work and they're doing a, a bunch of different services for physician practices, dentists. Oh, there's a bunch of different kind of niche industries that might right. apply to where you might have a broader practice. So you need to think about it in these terms. I usually like to say, if you think of a Venn diagram, it's like, what do you have experience and expertise in? Right? That might be one, one circle in the Venn diagram. 
what do you have an interest in, right? What is an area such as like an industry where you like the people, you find it to be an interesting industry to work within the type of work that industry needs is interesting to you. And then market opportunity. So where is the opportunity as it exists right now? Is this a growing industry? Is it a declining one? All of these, what is it? Is it active in my geographic vicinity? So all of these things are factors that you need to consider. And I also think, I talk to my clients about, I use this term ecosystem of attention. It helps if they've got a defined ecosystem of attention. So are there trade groups that you can join and start attending the events? Are there publications that you can publish in? Are there conferences where you can attend and start networking? All of those factors matter because it might be it might be an industry that's growing that you might be interested in. But if there's not a clear path on how you can get your ideas and yourself like with, in that ecosystem, it's going to be hard to market and do business development. Yeah. I So, for example, when I started my law firm back in 2009, again, corporate bankruptcy lawyer, I started the firm with a partner. We saw the opportunity. We knew there was going to be a lot of restructuring work, a lot of bankruptcies. GM and Chrysler were filing. It was going to be a lot of work for suppliers. The problem, as we saw it, was we were small. We were both, we had maybe six or seven years of experience, each of us, so relatively young, you know. And so we thought we were going to have a hard time competing for the tier one auto supplier work that all the other firms were going to be going after. So we looked at it and we said, okay, there's a part of the supply chain that most firms in town aren't really thinking about because there's such an abundance of work, which is auto dealers. Auto dealers were going to get wiped out, many of them, through the bankruptcies because, as was indicated, a bunch of them were going to lose their franchise agreements. They were going to be rejected in the bankruptcies. So anyways, long story short, we, that, we picked that as our niche. There's a Michigan Auto Dealers Association, a Detroit Auto Dealers Association, very robust community of successful businesses in that area, and started doing speaking at those groups, started writing articles for them, ended up getting hired by the associations to just do sort of set up oh. a 1-800 number actually to wow. give like general advice to their members. And then those calls came in, they had questions about what the hell's going on in the GM bankruptcy. And they're like, can we hire you to represent us? Mm-hmm. And so that ability to be like the only firm in town that was really focused in that sense is what allowed us to thrive. And that was really a strategic decision we made was to pursue a much smaller market yeah. than was otherwise available. But for us, it was bigger than we could ever serve. You know what I mean? I think sometimes Mm -hmm. people think, oh, you're talking about a niche market. I don't want to, again, I don't want to miss out on other opportunities. And I've rarely heard a lawyer propose a niche that wasn't much larger than they could ever possibly serve. Oh, that's so true. As you were talking, I was thinking of a related question. And I didn't ask you this earlier. Apologies for the curveball here. But as you were talking, I was curious One thing that I talk with my team a lot is when it comes to marketing and selling what we do, we have to be mindful of selling what people want and then giving them what they need, right? Mm -hmm. And in this legal space, so much of the sincerely valuable service that we provide isn't something that is necessarily interesting Mm -hmm. to people, even if they might need our help. Are there any examples of people that you help where the thought leadership that they build is actually not directly the legal topic, but maybe something that's tangentially related and it 
is more interesting or sexy to their niche that yeah. gets their attention. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's finding that cross section between like legal issues and how they impact the underlying business, right? I mean, that is the sweet spot of good content. So oftentimes that will involve things like that are much more practical in nature. They're not, it's not, here's what the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals said about this issue. Here are five things you need to do before year end to make sure you mitigate against these legal risks. And it's very practical and it's like action oriented. So, and that's really every survey of buyers of legal services, especially in the B2B world, what's the number one thing they general counsel or in-house counsel say they want from their lawyers? a clear understanding of their business and the industry they compete in. So focusing more of your content on your, to demonstrate your understanding of that business is going to serve you well. And that's more interesting for most readers anyway. The real artful, skillful thought leaders, I think can sort of walk that fine line to really, what are the urgent and important business issues, challenges and opportunities? And then there's clearly some legal aspects to these things that they can weave into that sort of content. But yeah, no, it definitely is the case. And then you see it on lawyers who are creating content on social media. It's not the deep subject matter type content. It's all kinds of different things. And then the other area would be like my former law firm partner, actually, who's still running the firm that him and I co-founded. He writes a lot of interesting content about just his experience of growing a law firm and things like here, he was an adjunct professor last year and he wrote about that experience. So he's right mm. for him, his number one source of new business is lawyers at large law firms. So he's writing a lot of content for other lawyers too sure. and lessons he's learned in his entrepreneurial journey. And there's lots of th ways you can look at it as opposed to just writing about the same types of legal issues that many others are writing about. Yeah, that reminds me too, a related point. One thing that I'm starting to notice and see and dip my toes into is this idea of how can you be seen as a thought leader, not just to potential clients, mm -hmm. but really to your referral partners and vendors yeah. and people who are sending work your way. Is that something that you're thinking about too, of how can we be top of mind, not just with potential clients directly, but with people who are going to be potentially sending work my way, especially if when we look at the numbers, most of our leads are coming from referrals. Yeah. Sometimes that's the entire strategy, right? It's, mm. It might be there are, and with certain practices, that's certainly the main driver of the business. And if that's the case, then yeah, you're probably going to be creating some content because here's what you want to make sure of. You've got enough out there, you know, in that sort of scenario where referral sources are your main driver of business where you've got enough out there where the prospective client that's being referred to you, if they're looking to check you out and do their due diligence, like there's enough there that's checking the box on like, oh yeah, these guys know what they're talking about. Yeah. But then otherwise, yeah, definitely be creating for the parties who are creating that pipeline. And that's probably the main part of that strategy if someone's practice is constituted that way. Yeah. Okay, great. I love that you're willing to go with me on these topics. And I mean, to everybody tuning in, whether you're live on the replay or on the podcast, tons of golden nuggets here. So super appreciative of Jay's time. Uh, Jay, we have time for a few more questions that yeah. I wanted to get to with you. One is something that I wanted to ask you because it's very timely for me right now. 
something that our firm is working on that I'm speaking to other lawyers who are working on it as well is really trying to do a better job of making our business more ready to sell in the future if we ever do sell it, regardless of what that plan might look like, and making not only the delivery of client services or the intake call process, but also the marketing and visibility less reliant and dependent on us. Before we hit live, we were talking a bit about the difference between this idea of lawyers being personal brands versus thought leadership and how it is possible to build a sense of thought leadership behind your firm without that always being attached to your name and your face. Can you talk to about that some more? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the one thing is an understanding that, yeah, everyone in an organization can contribute to thought leadership and creating content and marketing an organization. It should be. It would be silly for a founder or a business owner or CEO to not unleash the army of content creators within the organization and encourage and facilitate that. Because in the areas where most people's attention is being spent, like on social media, for example, it's very hard for a organization, a business, a corporate brand to really get any attention. The LinkedIn, whether it be LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, anyone who's dabbled in those areas and has tried to build a company brand knows that those platforms throttle and suppress content and because they're looking to get brands to advertise. And that makes sense. The flip side of that is that individuals can gain a lot of visibility and attention. And in a law firm in, in particular, where if the goal is to grow and scale and bring other people in and bring in revenue from different sources and, and that kind of thing, then by all means, everyone in the organization should be trained, encouraged, incentivized to be creating content on social media in particular, because their voices are going to far exceed and their visibility is going to far exceed anything the firm can do. And creating content on their own yes. accounts is what you're exactly. saying. Yes, 100%. Because that's, I oftentimes will pull this statistic and there's a very well-known large media organization in the legal industry. So it's a gold standard for media, website traffic from different various websites. And I'll contrast like their website traffic in a particular month with the views on my LinkedIn posts as an individual who's just a relative nobody. And my LinkedIn content consistently gets more total views or impressions than this large media organization does in a given month. And it just goes to show, I'm just trying to highlight for people, it's never been a better time for individuals to create content and build audiences and build their profile through their content than there is right now. And even if it's just strictly from a selfish business building standpoint, you want your people out there, their uh, name, their your firm name associated with their LinkedIn profile, them creating mm -hmm. content, creating a rabbit, a breadcrumb trail that all leads back to your firm. It's a good idea to unleash that army. It's such a good idea. And what would you say to someone who either they're hesitating themselves or their team is hesitant to start putting out content on their personal channels? Yeah. I think with the way I usually try to talk to people about it is this, like if you've got a team, for example, where some people are hesitant to do that kind of thing, it's okay. Like don't try to force it. Find a few people who are willing, ready to go and focus on them because lawyers tend to follow 
what other lawyers are doing, especially when they're starting to see something that works. So inevitably, yeah. if you find a few people within your organization who are like, yeah, I'm game for this, let's go, let's give it a try. And they start to see some results from it. Like the skeptic three months later is going to be pinging them and saying, hey, do you have 50 minutes? What are you doing? What is it exactly you're doing at LinkedIn? You got to explain this to me because I think I need to be doing it myself. So oh, I love that. Small. Don't try to make it totally top down. Just find a few people who can set the example and then okay. let them follow because that's the way it works. In my okay. Opinion. And just wearing my business owner hat for a while, when people decide to say yes to this concept with their team, the idea is that they would be paying their team for the time that they're spending doing this or... Yeah, I would say in general, I don't think you necessarily have to do that. To me, it's like, why are, okay, why are you doing this? Helping them to understand that. Because many times, I think everyone's not, understands the fact that not everyone on the team is going to always be on their team. People are looking to build themselves up. And, and ideally, they will stay a member of the team. And if they do, then they want to be a contributing member, bringing in their own new business, generating clients of their own, that kind of thing. So helping them to get a sense of like, all right, what's the long term for you here? Regardless of what you do, building an audience, building your own platform is going to be valuable. Right now, yeah, it's great for the firm too. That's awesome. This is an investment you're making in terms of in yourself more than anything. We want you to do this. We think you should do this. And here's why. Because Building a practice of your own, having clients, that's what gives you autonomy. Building relationships is intrinsically rewarding. This is a way to find meaning and purpose in your work because that comes from good relationships and having your own book of business. Like all of these things, it's not, I think they're all true. And so you otherwise would have to pay them, but you're tricking them into doing something. I don't think that's it at all. I think that many lawyers have a really hard time getting past the idea that their only job is to bill hours. And when most of the rewards, the real meaningful rewards that come from being a lawyer are on the other side of starting to build a practice and build relationships and a network and that kind of thing. So I just don't think that's explained well enough to many yeah, young lawyers in particular. That's super well said. And I don't know how often you see this being played out, but one thing that I'm thinking about is, as you're explaining the benefits of this is we have a growing team of students hmm. who have been chomping at the bit to put out content yeah. and giving them permission to start to build their own brands, mm -hmm. build their own thought leadership and connection with what we're doing. That's such a, an easy win-win direction that we can start to take. Yeah, no, I agree. One of the things I think with that audience, they're more native to social platforms. So it's not about posting. Sure. Oftentimes it's what I post about. And this is where the whole notion of, should it always be about the legal issues that tie back to the service offerings of the firm? And probably not, because again, many of them aren't gonna create content then because they don't have that expertise necessarily, or it's gonna be kind of cookie cutter or whatever. So in that case, it's like the shorthand is, write for yourself like two years ago, right? Like, where are you in your journey? Oh, I like, love what, that. Yeah, what have you learned? Like, so for example, for a first year lawyer, Oftentimes the best forms of content you can create are things like how to succeed in law school. How did you find your job? What was your summer associate experience like? What is it like now that you're actually practicing and 
you know, what was that 18 hour day where you were eating Thai food out of a styrofoam container in the conference room? Like those kind of things, that's what they're an expert in, right? Is what they just went through over the last few years. And that's not all they're going to do. They're going to grow and evolve and their expertise is going to build, but that's a stepping stone. for. That's such a great point. Such a great point. Well, Jay, one last line of question. I can't let you go without at least talking about LinkedIn some more. Yeah. Because you're doing such an impressive job of staying active on there. And I'm not joking when I say like you you have one of the strongest consistent engagements that I've seen. Tell us about how that got started a few years ago, what you committed to and how the reality of today's engagement on your LinkedIn has really been by design and by expectation from where, when you started this out. Yeah. So like many people, I used to use LinkedIn pre, say, 2020s, where, right, early 20, late 2019s, where I really got started. And so I was basically on the platform looking at what people were doing. And I noticed Laura Frederick, who I don't know if Laura from LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but anyway, she's got a big following. She actually has been, she has posted every single day since I think it was August 1st, 2019. And she's done an amazing job. She's someone you should check out. And yeah. if talk about niche focus, all she talks about is commercial contracts. I saw Laura's content. And at the time I was like, what, what, yeah, what's going on here? She's getting tremendous engagement on her posts. And I just started seeing her more and more frequently. So I had her on my podcast and interviewed her. And what I unlocked from that conversation and other observations when I was really starting to want to get more serious about LinkedIn was the fact that Previously, what I was doing was I was creating lots of long form content published on my blog or in some other website. And then I would share share a link to that content, try to promote that article, drive people, drive traffic back to the website, right? Which is what everyone says you're supposed to do when when marketing and creating content. And what I started doing was I just started creating content on LinkedIn. So I started treating LinkedIn as my blog, not merely as a place to promote content from my blog. And so by not including links by just creating short posts that essentially boiled down some of the things that I cared about, that my audience cared about, that really started to get a lot more engagement. And partly because otherwise, if you are sharing links, I don't spend a lot of time talking about the algorithm. I think people suggesting Mm -hmm. that they know what the algorithm likes and doesn't like, I don't think they know that much about it, but it doesn't like links. It doesn't like Mm. trying to send people off of LinkedIn, right? They're like, no, we want people to stay on LinkedIn. So if you're sharing links, Mm. you're definitely going to get a penalty as a result of that. So then it just became a matter of committing to, all right, I'm going to start doing this. And for a 30-day period of time, I'm going to try to post every day. And I'm going to see what happens. So good things started to happen. And I haven't been perfect like Laura, but I've been pretty close ever since. And the thing was, it definitely was not perfect at first. If you were to go way back and see my content then, I don't think it was written as well, nor was I writing about many of the same issues. Mm-hmm. And in all cases, though, I was always writing for lawyers, right? I picked my niche, I picked my audience. It was Everything I wrote was for lawyers. And what that allowed me to do was to gain a really keen understanding as to what lawyers want more of, mm-hmm. what ideas are interesting to them, what topics and questions they have. And over time, that feedback loop you develop through consistently sharing content on a platform like LinkedIn, which is allows for interaction, right? The likes, the comments, 
you start to see what you're doing that other people are wanting to see more of. That's the mm -hmm. feedback loop. And that's really valuable. So now I have a much better sense. There's maybe four or five topics, four or five ide core ideas that I write about. I just write about them in different ways. Don't have a hundred different ideas, have one good idea and learn how to write about it a hundred different ways. Oh, I love that. And that's to me, the big unlock. And that's what allows you to, I guess, create more content because it might seem that, oh, if I could write about anything, I'll have more ideas. That's never the case, right? It's, I have these four or five sort of core building blocks. And as I go through my day, as I have conversations with clients, I read other content, I'm listening to podcasts, it's all running through that filter of like my four or five core ideas, my core pillar, content pillars. And yeah. then I'm just jotting down ideas constantly. And it's the problem at this point is not coming up with ideas. It's like sifting through and just really drilling down on the good ones. So that's the big thing. Consistency of audience, consistency of effort, creating that feedback loop, and then continuing to refine what you're doing over time. And there's more to it. There's I've learned how to write better posts in terms of better hooks. How do we grab attention with the first line? And sure. How do we a post such that it's appealing to the eye? Like those kinds of things you, you tend to learn as well. But it's really about what is my audience? Who is my audience? What does my audience want? And really gaining a clear understanding of that makes a big difference. And I will make one last point, which is I'm creating less long form content these days, but I'm creating better long form content, I think. And that's because of posting a lot on LinkedIn, because again, that, that feedback loop is instead of sitting down and investing four hours of time and writing a 1200 word article that I don't really know whether that's going to be of interest to my audience or not. I just wait and see and say like, oh, okay, this month, here's the post that really seemed to pop with people. I'm just going to build that out into an article. So I've essentially auditioned a ton of ideas. And then I just grabbed the handful of them that really seemed to resonate. Oh, that's great. And that's a pretty, really good idea. Yeah, and it's pretty easy to just build that out. And I try to publish everything long form I do in regarded third-party publications that my audience reads. And the ability to send along with my draft article, my LinkedIn post to the editor and say, hey, you know, to the extent that you're not certain whether your audience of lawyers will be interested in this. Here's where I shared this idea and these, whatever, several hundred. Oh, that's so lawyers. good. That's so good. Yeah. So that's a systematic approach. And then I guess uh, last tip, cause this is how do you keep up with like daily posting schedule? So while I post every day on LinkedIn, I don't write every day, every day I'm generating ideas for content and I'm taking yeah. a of things. And then I have a 90 minute, I get up early on Saturday morning, not about a 90 minute window of time and just try to bang out all the posts I want to share for a week. Nice. That's great. That's yeah. great. And in addition to writing, one thing that I'm seeing is becoming more and more noteworthy on LinkedIn in particular is LinkedIn seems to really value not only writing content, but also engaging with others. Mm -hmm. It seems like you do a really good job of engaging with the people who are engaging with your content to what extent are you carving out additional time to like hop on linkedin and engage with other people's posts yeah not i'm not as purposeful as i should be about okay that. okay uh, this i now i will say this i used to be much better about that so this might be 
something where I've just gotten lazy over time where I feel like, okay, yeah. I'm getting more engagement. I sort of built my audience and I'm not doing the, some of the fundamentals that got me to where I'm at. So it's a great point. If you're just getting started on LinkedIn in terms of creating content, it's critically important to engage with those who are in whatever audience you're trying to build, engage with them and their content. It's a fundamental building block of building an audience. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing it, honestly, it's a little bit more haphazard. I'm going in, I'm like, oh, shoot, I, I should go comment back to all the people who commented on my posts and that kind of thing. But part of it also becomes really hard to keep up with. If you are getting a lot of engagement, it's a lot of people. And, and But I tried to do it. I'm just, I haven't been perfect. No, as, I get as, it. As good as I should be. <laughs> well, Jay, all of this has been incredibly helpful. So thank you for your time. I can't recommend this conversation more. And I'm really excited that we've recorded this so that I can send it to attorneys and frankly, other business owners who could use this type of help when they're reaching out, asking about marketing tips and ways to stay visible. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I love talking about these issues and it was great to be able to chat with you, Joey. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jay. We'll make sure that we have Jay's LinkedIn profile in particular linked up in the comments and the show notes so that all of you can check that out. And that'll do it for this week. We'll see all of you next week on the Business Growth Advantage. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week. Learn the-